0: Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come up against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this hour in the power of darkness are yours. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your inerrant, infallible word. It is holy when we hear the word of God read and preached, and when we read it privately, when we open that word, it is a holy moment, for your word is holy and precious, sacred. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear it, And to live, as it were, by the word of God. Convince us that we cannot live in this world, even though bread sustains us bodily. That if we do not have the word of God, we will die. And surely we will spiritually. Therefore, we thank you for your life-giving word. Help us to receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when what was hidden is revealed... The true character of an individual comes out and you can see what kind of person this is. It's that seminal moment in a movie when you're watching it and you know that someone has been hiding something and the moment it comes out what they've been hiding, uh, they will either run or they will become wicked in their evil. Uh, It will manifest itself in retribution, in revenge, in Just an incredible statement and activity of of evil. Uh, We see that in some way in this passage today. Judas is the one who is the catalyst for Jesus' capture. He's the one who's handing Jesus over. And there's an interesting phenomenon when we see the worst of heretics come uh, out and be made known, revealed, exposed. He's been outed. Here is this great heretic, one of the greatest heretics of all time. He's a sinner, he's a liar, and he's been found out. And what 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 happens is that turns into something. The moment Jesus began to tell his disciples, there is one amongst you who will betray me, he knew that he was known. He had been outed in some sense, Uh, at least to the Savior, and it would would be revealed as to precisely who he was. And so that began in his mind an aggressive campaign to punish the Lord Jesus, to bring him low, because he himself has been revealed. Judas, in his betrayal of the Lord Jesus, is recorded in Mark 14, in Matthew 26, in Luke 22 and John 18, all of them, all of the Gospels have Judas's betrayal. Not every Gospel story is shared amongst all the disciples, uh, or amongst all of these uh, the Gospels, all four of them. Oftentimes, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, share certain details that John does not. John has a concentration upon a particular aspect of Christ's Judean ministry. The synoptic Gospels, although they share much, do not always share every story common amongst them all. So it is very unusual when we come to uh, the recounting of a particular uh, event or circumstance that all the Gospels share, and that is the betrayal of Judas. Judas comes on that evening. Jesus has just gotten done speaking. In fact, he is still speaking in verse 53... forgive me verse 47 while he was still speaking behold a crowd came he is telling them why are you sleeping get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation he is speaking to, to them warning them that temptation the hour of temptation is coming and in fact we read at the end that all will abandon him we'll see that in a few moments the hour of temptation they all fail all of them will fail as he's saying this, as he has come back for the third time from his private prayer, where he has, he, has, he has left eight of them in the garden, and he has gone just a little bit beyond with the three who are closest to him, and, and there he has gone even a few feet beyond that so that they can see him laboring in prayer. There he has been praying. He has returned three times to check on them. They have been sleeping each time. He has warned them. They're groggy from exhaustion. They're tired from worry and fear. They have no idea about what to expect. And Jesus has returned for the third time, warning them that they must pay attention and pray that they might be freed from temptation and that they might not enter into that temptation when the hour comes. Jesus knows fully what events are unfolding Judas is coming around the corner with a contingent of a, a huge smattering of people. It's a mob. It's a mob of people. And they have torches and they have clubs and they have swords. And they've come to arrest a brigand, as it were. Someone who needs torches and clubs and swords. I'll tell you, if if Jesus is, and we know that he is, If he is the Son of God, their torches, clubs, and swords will have no effect. If he is not the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, and in fact he only has 11 men with him, why do they need torches and clubs and swords? The fact is that they are a great mob, and he, the 12 of them, the, the eleven plus the Lord Jesus would have nothing to say. They would simply go into custody or be taken into custody. Well, Jesus greets Judas and Judas is there with a number of all sorts. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a very diverse crowd. We, we live in an age where diversity is celebrated. This is a very diverse crowd. Here is a betrayer, one who would betray the teacher, the one who he calls rabbi, the teacher who has led and provided for him and kept him safe for three years. There's Judas. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be in any sense associated with Judas at all. But Judas is there and he's come with some Roman gods who, uh, whose assignment was the temple and the Levitical priests were there. Those Levitical priests who had been sent by the chief priests and and, and the, 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 uh, the scribes. Uh, a while back to to get Jesus, and Jesus had rebuked them. It was not his time had not yet come. They went went back and said that uh, that they were essentially powerless in light of the words that Jesus, who is the Christ, had said to them. So now they come with a little bit more teeth. Roman guards, temple security, swords and clubs, even members, members of the sanhedrin members of the chief priestly class they're there they're all there and they're there with judas judas is leading them all and doesn't shouldn't any one of them stop and step back for a moment and said you know the fact that this this betrayer is the one leading us does that not in some way have a bearing on we as a group Well, as they come, Jesus greets him, and, and I'm going to share some details from the other accounts. And he greets them, according to Matthew, friend. He speaks to Judas, friend. Now, that word is not philos, in other words, friend whom I love, but it's rather heteros, which is used in Matthew 20, verse 13, and in chapter 22, verse 12. Those are stories about the servants in the field. In the hot sun, the one individual comes back to the master of the fields and says, I want to complain. I've been out in the field all day. And you're giving the same rate of pay to people who have come in the last moment. And the owner, who is the master, says, Friend, they are not bosom buddies. It is not a a term of love and of connection. It is a, a rebuke in a way. It's also the word that is used of the filthy man at the at the marriage feast of the king's son. Do you remember when they're called to come in and here is a man who is filthy, who did not even take time to wash himself, who has entered into the marriage feast of the king's son, who is cast out into utter darkness. And the master says, Friend, what are you doing here in such a state? And Jesus uses that word for Judas. As he approaches Jesus, Judas will uh, Judas has had a prearranged sign, and that is, I'm going to kiss him on the cheek and refer to him as the rabbi. And when you do this, take him into custody quickly. Whisk him away. Judas does this, and Jesus has a word for him, which we'll look at in a moment. But it's at that moment that Judas, or that, that Peter, as they are about to take custody of the Lord, cuts off the ear of Malchus. According to John chapter 18, this is Malchus, this servant whose ear is cut off. Peter just simply grabs that sword and wh- whisks that, that ear right off the man. I'm sure he cries out. Blood everywhere. But Jesus picks up the ear and heals that ear in that moment. It's interesting to see the veracity of the word of God, because in the earlier Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Peter is not identified as the one who has done that. Only John, because John's Gospel comes at a later period of time when Peter, who is at the end of his life, and most, most likely even possibly died at that point, when John is writing his Gospel... Peter is near the end of his life. It's it's less relevant, and possibly even dead, but it's less relevant for the Roman authorities to capture Peter for that capital offense. And so, John records, it was Peter who did this, and the man whose ear was taken or cut off was in fact the servant or the slave of the high priest, of the chief priest, Jesus heals his ear, his ear. In Matthew's gospel, it's recorded that when Peter does this, Jesus turns around and rebukes him and makes it clear that if I were to ask my father for 12 legions of angels. Now a legion is 6,000 individuals. If I were to ask my father for 12,000 or 12 legions, some 72,000 avenging angels, to come even in that moment that the Father would have sent them. But he rebukes them and he says, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? The Lord Jesus is denying himself the freedom from that bodily pain and the suffering that is about to happen. All for the purpose that it might be fulfilled what was promised. This alone through which sinners could be reclaimed. He denied himself the immediacy of deliverance. For the sake of sinners. Well, Jesus, in this passage this morning, speaks to three individuals, uh, one individual and two groups, one individual and two groups, three different individuals or groups. He has a word for each one. And I, I think it's important for us to concentrate on these things because this is the end of Jesus's life. It's nearing the end that night. He will, in fact, go and, and be brought before Caiaphas and Annas. He will go before the chief priests. He will go before the scribes of Sanhedrin. He will go before uh, uh, Pilate. He will go before all of the various means of those who are govern- in governance, uh, or whether religiously or politically. And eventually, within 24 hours, he will be put to death. These are the last three free words that come from Jesus These are the last free moments of Jesus's ministry and he has something to say to each one to 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 Judas and and then to these two groups the disciples and then those who are his who have come to take him into custody So first Judas He says to Judas, ultimately, that he needs to realize the significance of what he's doing. There's a warning for Judas. He speaks to Judas, and he gives him a warning. Judas is doing all that he can to hide his betrayal and sin. However, the fact is that Jesus looks at him and says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, if someone were to come and betray you before some authorities and thus put your life into question, what would you do? Would you warn them about the severity and the significance of the work that they're about to do? Or would you, in fact, curse them from, from, from highest heaven to lowest earth? For my part, I would be more inclined, far more inclined, to curse them. I certainly would not warn them about the significance of what they're about to what they're about to undertake. But what Jesus is doing for for, for Judas in that moment, he is he is he is he is attempting to get to Judas to recognize the significance of about of what he's about about to do. And he's, he's seeking to show him that though you're about to you want to hide your betrayal and hide your sin. The fact is, it is known to me. Judas comes with this, these familiar terms, Rabbi, Rabbi. And he, he's affectionate. He kisses him on the cheek. He shows this intimate display of love. And you might ask, well, why, why did Judas do this? Why does Judas approach the Lord in this way, kiss him on the cheek, and why has he given orders for them to take him into custody immediately? Why? What is this? Why does he use these familiar terms? Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, but Judas is doing this this public display of affection, this PDA, in order to show those who are with him who is the one to take into custody. Does he want, ultimately, for them to not put him to death? Does he want them to take him safely into custody? Is that what is... His bargain is, is it an act of deception against the Lord so that he doesn't really realize that he's the one that is betraying him? Maybe that's it, because he had thought thus far that for three years, the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew the very thoughts and intents of the hearts that were before him, from the woman at the well whose 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 entire history and past Jesus knew in a moment and shared with her? And she ran away to the crowds and said, He has told me all the various aspects of my life, all that I have ever done, he has shown me. Does Judas think that Christ would not know? That he could hide his sin in some sense? Is Judas not a tragic character or a tragic representation of we ourselves? we do far more hiding of sin than we do of repenting of sin. We hide more of that which we are guilty of than we are in fact bringing before God continually and daily in full recognition of our sinfulness and begging for repentance and receiving it. We still are under the same disease as Judas was that somehow I can hide my sin and God will never know and I need not ever be embarrassed by this. And Jesus is speaking to Judas and he is speaking to us today. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I think Judas is, is, is trying to hide the fact that he is betraying the Lord. He is trying to show some public display of affection to hide the fact that he is, in fact, the catalyst for this betrayal. He is the one. And Jesus is saying, you are betraying me. You are betraying the Son of Man. And would you do that with a kiss? If you're going to be a sin sinner, if you're going to be a betrayer, if you're going to betray the Son of Man... And don't do it with a kiss because I see exactly who you are. J.C. Ryle says on this passage, to betray Christ at any time is the very height of wickedness. But to betray him with a kiss proves a man to have become a very child of hell. He is filled with Satan. Judas is, no matter how friendly he seems. He is filled with Satan, and Satan has moved him, prompted him. He is completely and totally filled with Satan. Rather than being filled with Christ, Satan has taken ownership of him, and he cannot do anything but serve him. You know, R.C. Sproul calls for a a recognition of an interesting connection in the doublet of Jesus' name. Uh, 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 Judas says, Rabbi, Rabbi. As recorded in the other Gospels, R.C. sees a connection between Jesus and when he speaks in Matthew chapter 7 verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, you see the doublet, Lord, Lord. Somehow we think that if we, can, if we use someone's name multiple times that we can convince them of the truth of our sincerity. Judas is trying to do that. Rabbi, Rabbi. And yet he is amongst those who are crying out, Lord, Lord, did we not do wonderful works in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not give so much of ourselves for you? Many will ignorantly and superstitiously and foolishly seek to to communicate undying affection to the Lord in the last day. But the Lord Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Not because he is ignorant or unaware, but because he did not love and know them with the affection of one who knows intimately a child of God. Christ's words are an offer of mercy even in that last moment. Can you th- can you think about Judas in this way? He is such a tragic character, such a wicked man, so filled with an animosity toward Jesus Christ. And don't 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 get sympathetic towards him. Don't think that he's merely confused as some liberal uh, theologians want us to believe. Don't think that in some way he is an innocent instrument of Satan. No he is not. His heart has been filled with for three years with hatred for Christ. And don't think that it was just merely a, a, an agnosticism. Well, I really haven't figured out who Christ is, and I really haven't made up my mind. No. He has listened to the words of the eternal Son of God for three years. He has heard words of grace. He has heard words of love. He has heard words of mercy, and he has heard words of, of rebuke and of warning. And he has seen the results of the power of God at work in the face of Jesus Christ. And he has rejected him. He is not his Lord. He is not his Savior. And Judas wants no part. He has stolen money and he has stayed for the free meal. And now he has made a a bargain over his very soul, and he has sold himself out to Satan, yielding completely and entirely to him. And he walks up even now seeking to hide his sin. And Jesus, in that gracious moment, in that last... This is one of the last free things the Lord Jesus will do. While he is not yet bound, Judas... Will you betray me with a kiss? There is a word of warning there. An offer of grace. Judas, is this what you're about to do? Judas, is this really what you're going to do? Do you really want to do this? I think there's the slightest hint Oh, Judas, if you would turn from your wicked ways, I would be merciful to you. Hasn't Jesus said this to countless persons? Isn't Jesus essentially saying this Judas, would you betray me with a kiss? Would you do this wicked thing? By implication, if you would not do this wicked thing, there is still that offer you heard me talk about for three years to vast numbers of people, to tens of thousands of people, if you will turn from your wicked ways, if my people who are called by my name would seek my name, turn from their wicked ways and seek me, they will find mercy and I will save them. This is a warning. Sin, no matter how hidden or covered, no matter what you do with it, no matter how much you may suppress it in your memory, no matter how much you may deny it, no matter how much you say you may act dishonestly with other persons, no matter how many lies you may tell around it, no matter how hidden or covered your sin may be, one day it will be on full display. And even the fear of that future day, hopefully that will turn anyone here who is listening to me this morning in whatever venue you may be, be sure your sins will find you out. But even now they are known to the Savior. He knows all of it. And here is a warning against heresy, against hatred of Jesus Christ, against jealousy of Him, against rebellion against Him. Here is this tragic Judas Don't be like Judas and betray the Lord by the conduct of your life. Rather, turn and repent of your heresy and hatred and jealousy and rebellion. And God, even God, who will have mercy upon your soul. However, you may have rebelled even to this day, yet. Jesus Christ is willing to show you mercy if only you repent and believe in him. Dear friend, here's the difference between a a believer and and a rebel, a believer and a betrayer. Judas looked full into the face of Jesus Christ and beheld, here is an object, here is a person to betray. Here is one worthy of my hatred and jealousy and rebellion. But a believer looks into the face of Jesus and says, the things of earth have grown strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. He is worthy to be lived for. He is worthy to die with. He is worthy to give the entirety of my life to. And to serve no matter how much I am betrayed, no matter how much I am rebelled against, no matter how much people may hate me. He is worthy to die with and to give my life for all the rest of my days. Jesus is worthy to be stood with. Don't give up on the Lord. He will stand with you for all eternity. No matter how much you failed the Lord, there is forgiveness and grace with him. is still your God. Christ has still died for your sins. You will not be received into glory because you have been faithful to the last and you were the strongest human being and you stood up when no one else would stand up. You will be there at the last ultimately because Christ stood up for you. And so what can we do but to stand with Him? To be undergirded by His strength. To stand in light of His strength. To stand because He stands with us to stand because he endured the betrayal of Judas. The day of reckoning is coming. Jesus was willing. Jesus was warning. Jesus was attempting to awaken Judas to the danger of his soul, but Judas was not willing. And if you're not willing today, then you will suffer the same fate as that man, Don't deny the Lord Jesus, but turn to him. Turn to his mercy and receive it. The second group or individual that Jesus speaks to is the disciples. This, this is the second group. And it's, it's because it's because Peter has struck the, the ear right off of the servant. And, you know, I, if, if Peter were to be a great swordsman, if he were to do some great work for Jesus... Shouldn't he have chosen someone other than the least amongst the crowd? He chooses a servant uh, and he cuts his ear off. How about thrusting it into into the the midriff of of a Roman centurion? That, That may not be quite so easy. But Peter is impetuous and he strikes out at the first individual in front of him. And here is this man, Malchus. Jesus's ultimate message to the disciples is the sword is not your deliverer. I am the salvation which Christ works doesn't need the protection of mankind. God keeps his redemption in its perfect flow, in its unfolding, according to his decree. And Jesus is submitting to the providence of God's decree as it unfolds, even to the point of his own death. He is submitting to providence and he is an example for all who are his people to submit to the providence of God. Peter, who is identified in John's gospel, is the one with the sword and his victim. Malchus is identified there as well. Malchus is related to one of the servant girls who will ask Peter in the very next section. Weren't you with Jesus? And Peter will deny that fact. Jesus rebukes the use of the sword in Matthew's Gospel in the same section as it talks about this exact same circumstance. Those who live by the sword shall die by the swords, words that we would do well to remember. As Christians, can we embrace a life of warfare and of swords use and of rebellion? Are we not called by Christ to live at peace, to pray for our elected leaders? to submit even to those who are unrighteous. Peter is clear about that. And Peter is the one who has learned this lesson. I was reading it in this very morning in First Peter. Even those who are unjust we are to submit to. It's hard to deny the word of God, but, but, but don't miss this lesson at, at the least. Christ Jesus does not need you to go to sword in order to protect his kingdom. Jesus is denying that he is the leader of a group of rebels, and that he's the leader of a faction who intend to take the kingdom by storm. J.C. Ryle says this, this it's a lengthy quote, but it's a very good one. We should learn from these verses that it is much easier to fight a little for Christ than to endure hardship and go to prison and death for his sake. Have you thought about that? The lesson before us is deeply instructive. To suffer patiently for Christ is far more difficult than to work actively. Think about that fact. To suffer for Christ is far more difficult than to simply work actively for him. To sit down and endure calmly is far more hard than to stir about and to take part in the battle. Crusaders will always be found more numerous than martyrs. Work for Christ may be done from many spurious motives, from excitement, from emulation, from party spirit, from love of praise. But suffering for Christ will seldom be endured from any but one motive, and that motive is the grace of God. We shall do well to remember these things in forming our estimate of the comparative grace of professing Christians, some poor unknown believer who has been lying for years on his back. Let me say that again. Some poor, unknown believer who has been lying for years on his back, enduring pain without a murmur, may prove at last to have brought more glory to Christ through his patience and to have done more good through his prayers than the public action of others. The grand test of grace is patient suffering. Remember God's words about Saul in Acts chapter nine, sixteen. I will show Saul what great things he will suffer for my name. Peter, we may be sure, did far less good when he drew his sword and cut off a man's ear than when he stood calmly before the council as a prisoner and said, I cannot but speak the things that I have seen and heard. Do you hear that? far greater thing peter did than to stand before the council and say i will not stop speaking of christ Than when peter struck out with a sword impetuously seeking to protect the life of the savior there's astonishing mercy in these verses in these last two acts before he's bound and taken away he warns judas but also here he heals this man's ear Would the last thing on earth before you were supposed to be bound and hung on a tree for the sins of all mankind, would it be that you would pick up this piece of an ear off the ground and reattach it and heal this man who has come in opposition to you? He's come to take your life. And yet Jesus bends down and heals this man's ear. It's an astonishing mercy. And it just shows that even to the very last moment, no one is beyond the grace of God. No one. And that to the last moment, even to the end of his life, the Lord Jesus is dominated by a, by a feeling of mercy, by a welling in, notion and intention to show mercy, even to the last, to those even who are opposed to him. I'm ready at the slightest provocation to be angry and to seek retribution. But Jesus, in that moment, even whose hands will soon be bound, the betrayer in front of him, his disciples acting foolishly and impetuously, facing 24 hours of utter agony, heals that man's ear. We should be well informed by the act of mercy that our Savior was consumed with doing. He was a man of mercy and of grace. An extraordinary Savior, filled with mercy, filled with compassion. Thirdly and finally, and this is briefer, it, Jesus speaks to the chief priests in the office of the temple and the, and the elders. And we've, we've made clear who they are. The elders have come out to against him, offices of the temple, members of the Sanhedrin, members of the chief priest and his family, temple guards, Roman soldiers. They're all there, and they're with Judas. And we have to see it for what it is. The world fears God. The world is afraid of God. It's terrified of God. When you go and invite someone to the church to come and come and worship God with me, there's a certain amount of terror inside of their, their heart. They are. They're afraid because they'll be confronted with who they actually are. They'll be confronted with a holy God and his judgment. And it's not something that anyone wants to think about if they're opposed to the Lord. The world fears God, not with a godly fear, but a fear that stems from unconfessed sin and rebellion, from those who can't understand a holy God, from the blind and deaf and dumb, made so by their sins, people who ridicule what they cannot understand. Jesus, the creator of the world, the Alpha and the Omega, the great I Am. And don't miss that in Matthew's Gospel when and in John's Gospel, when he is asked, Are you Jesus? And he says, I am the man whom you seek. He is the one whose intercession and righteousness alone can atone for sin and bring peace with God. He stands before men who hold themselves up as the arbiters of God's justice, of God's presence amongst men. They, Those men standing before Jesus believed that they represented God and they would they would quell this rebellion against God and they have rejected his, his Son and they will bring Him to trial. And Jesus submits to them. Jesus submits to them. He has given us an example. Even, even, even evil men serve God's purposes. Even in seeming rebellion against Christ, they are enslaved ultimately to God's purposes. And they will serve nothing more than God's ultimate purpose in bringing about the redemption of sinners through the death of His Son. There's another note of mercy here, even to them. While I was with you in the temple daily, you didn't lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. There's warning here. There's warning here. Warning and pointing out their wickedness and deceitfulness. And there is this sovereign statement too. I was in the temple daily and you couldn't do a thing. Don't you need to stop for a moment and think about why? You couldn't do a thing because your God stands before you. And your God and Savior is the one even now controlling circumstances. This is your hour. I'm giving it to you. It is the hour of darkness. He is resigning himself to the will of his Father in his death. But he is resigning himself to the wicked intentions of unbelieving persons because it serves the will of God, the Father. Jesus did this for you. Jesus did this for you. Let that motivate you. Jesus did this for me. Jesus endured this for me. How can I do any less than to endure the difficulties and, and even the ridicule and the hatred of others because he did this for me? Jesus did this for you. This is what Jesus did for you, that you might have life and life eternal. Let's pray. O oh, great Savior Jesus, our Savior, our mighty Savior, mighty to save, you could have asked the Father in that moment for legions upon legions of angels to come and to break the swords and the spears of man and to bring it all to an end, to save yourself from the obligation and the difficulty. And yet for us, you endured the hatred of sinners, the betrayal of one who was a friend. And yet this son of perdition born for that very purpose Oh, Lord, I thank you that your mercy is so evident. There were men who stood before you that day with hatred in their heart. With a club in one hand, a sword in the other, and a torch on their back. Who proclaimed your guilt, who spoke words of hatred, who struck you, who spat at you. And yet in the first few chapters of Acts, we find they cried out after the sermon from Peter, later from Stephen. How might we be saved? Tell us how we can be saved. And thank you, God, that in your mercy, we know that members of the Sanhedrin, members of the high priest's family, that members of the temple guard that members of the Roman centurions looked upon the cross of Christ and believed. So help us to continue to learn from this old, old story that we may look upon the cross even this day, that we can confess, as we sang earlier, this wonder that we have been forgiven of our hatred and of our sin and rebellion. If we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if we render our lives an offering of thanksgiving unto him, if we will turn away from our sins and repent of them truly and fully, honestly, and if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, alone who is our righteousness, denying that we are in any way righteous apart from him, will Lord God help us to believe and trust and to be renewed in these gospel promises to be refreshed in the reality of what Christ did for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me together? We'll sing hymn number uh, 340, I think. <clears throat> 340. We'll stand together and sing. Yes, 340. 340.